0: Good morning, everyone. Today's Bible reading is from John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26, on page 1680 of the Pew Bibles. Um, So John prays for all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that you may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Thanks, Peter.
1: Thanks, Angie. Good morning once again. Over the last five weeks or so, we we've been working through some different prayers that are in the Bible and my hope has been that the prayers that we've been reading and looking at together will be helping to shape the way in which you pray. This morning I want to ask you, how do you feel when someone tells you that they've been praying for you? Perhaps you've been dealing with something difficult in life, maybe an injury or a broken relationship or sickness or those sorts of things. Maybe you've been grieving, something like that. And then you you bump into a friend, maybe you're out shopping and, and they say to you, I've been praying for you. How does that make you feel? I think sometimes people say this without actually doing the praying. I think sometimes we think of it kind of like as a code for I'll think good thoughts about you. Uh, Can I encourage you this morning, please don't do that. If you say you're praying for someone, let me encourage you to be actually bringing those concerns to our Creator, our God. Because prayer, I want to encourage you this morning, it is different to just thinking good thoughts. Here's what John Calvin has to say about prayer and about this idea. I've got the quote on the screen behind me. He says this, To know God as the master and bestower of all good things who invites us to request them of him and still not go to him and ask of him, this would be of as little profit as for a man to neglect a treasure buried and hidden in the earth after it's been pointed out to him. In other words, Calvin is saying, to not pray, it's as crazy as leaving behind buried treasure when you know it's just in the ground over there. John chapter 17 is a chapter all about prayer. In fact, it's a chapter all of Jesus praying a prayer. There are lots of prayers that are recorded for us in the Bible that Jesus prayed, but this is one of them. And here in this chapter, John John, who wrote the chapter kind of highlights for us three ways in which Jesus prays. And I want you to see that the shape of this chapter as a whole, it's a bit like a target. I've got a picture of a a target on the screen behind me, a target with circles, concentric circles, and the chapter starts with the center of the target, in verses 1 to 5. If you've got a Bible open, you might like to just turn to John 17 and have a look at verses 1 to 5. In verses 1 to 5, Jesus is actually praying for himself. He's praying that, that he would be glorified centre bit of the circle, the target. And then in verses sixteen, six six to nineteen, sorry, we move to the next kind of concentric ring in the target, and we see here that Jesus is praying not for himself now, but for his disciples. Those that have been following him around, those who had been living with him day to day as he proclaimed the kingdom of God. And in those verses he's essentially praying that the disciples would be sanctified, they become more mature, more like Jesus. And then in the bit that Angie read to us, verses 20 to 26, things get really amazing, I think. Because in these verses, Jesus prays for you and for me. He prays for us. Now, this prayer was said some 2,000 odd years ago, and yet I'm pretty convinced that as Jesus prayed these words, he had you and me in mind. And I reckon that is amazing. Amazing to think that Jesus prayed for me and for you. You know, I'm genuinely thankful when I hear people saying they're praying for me or praying for my family. Sometimes I wonder what you're praying for when you say that to me. I wonder maybe you're praying for shorter sermons or more catchy illustrations or, or those sorts of things. And that genuinely I value your prayers, I treasure them. But when I realise that Jesus prayed for me, oh, that is amazing. And I really want to know what he prayed. So can I encourage you, if you haven't already done so, open your Bibles, turn to John chapter 17 and take a look at verse 20 with me. Jesus starts there by saying this. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. See, what he had been praying for in the previous verses was his disciples who accompanied him on his many and varied ministries. And here Jesus says, I'm not just praying for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. He's praying for those who believe in him through the message of his disciples or the apostles. And if you're here today as someone who believes in Jesus, someone who knows Jesus, I want to suggest that you know him and that you believe in him because of the message that the apostles have passed on. See, they're the ones who, who took the stories about Jesus, they're the ones who saw what he did and put it either into written or spoken form. Today, we've been reading John's Gospel. And I'll suggest to you that he was the son of Zebedee. And this is how he passed on the message to us. And he did it deliberately. Now, flick over to chapter 20 of John. If you've never seen this before, chapter 20, verse 30. John tells us why he wrote this down. He says this, John 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, But these are written, why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. See, today we know Jesus, we believe in Him, if you do, because of the message that the apostles passed on to us. And it's for us, those who've received that message, that Jesus is praying in these verses. Now, we're going to look at the three things that are in your leaflet about what Jesus prays. Uh, If if you haven't got your leaflet open, you might like to do that. But here's essentially three things that Jesus prays for us. Firstly, Jesus prays for unity around the apostolic message. We're going to have a look at that in a moment. Secondly, he prays that we would take what we most need. That we take what we most need. And finally, he prays that we would see with spiritual eyes are the three things that we're going to look at, and they're listed in your leaflet there. Let's start just by taking a look at at unity. It's pretty clear, isn't it, from the first few verses of this section that Jesus is concerned with unity. Have a look there at verse 21. He is part of Jesus' prayer, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Or come down to verse 23, there we read, This I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Unity is part of Jesus' prayer here for us. How does that make you feel? Because when we look out across the world, when we look out even just across Adelaide, our city... Unity may not be the thing that you notice standing out amongst Christian churches. Even in our own city, there seems to be some division. What are we to make of this? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that unity here is not uh, just trying to be unified, or unity of love, or unity of purpose. I want to suggest to you that this is unity based on the message that has been passed on. The message about who Jesus is. The unity derives from a common understanding of that message. Come with me to another part of the Bible, to Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to read to you there from verse 17. Ephesians chapter 2. Here, here Paul is speaking about Jesus. And this is what he says. Paul says, he, Jesus, this is verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 2, He, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. You see here in this passage that our unity comes through the message that Jesus preached. He is the cornerstone. It's the message about him that the apostles passed on. And for those who believe that message then we are fellow citizens we are we are members of a household we are being built together in unity and so i want to suggest to you that unity doesn't come just from a desire to be so it comes when we believe that jesus is the chief cornerstone it comes when we believe and take on the message of the apostles now there are lots of great examples of when this happens but i can think of two of these examples that are happening in our city Uh, this year. In May, men from across Adelaide are going to gather together to hear from God's Word as part of Adelaide Men's Convention. And a couple of weeks later on, women from across Adelaide are going to gather as part of Grace Conference. And at both of these events, there'll likely be more than 500 people They'll come from churches and places all across Adelaide, a mixture of denominations, Anglican, Baptist, Presbyterian, Uniting, Congregational. There'll be older and younger people, people from different backgrounds, people from different places, together united around the message that has been proclaimed. Men's Convention and the Women's Counterpart Grace Conference are wonderful examples of cross-church, cross-denominational, examples of christian unity built around the message of the apostles okay so jesus prays for unity unity around the message that he proclaimed and of which the apostles passed on Uh, the next thing i'd like you to see this morning and i'm really thankful for tim keller and his help in understanding this the next thing that i want you to see is that jesus prays for what we most need not just us but also for the world more broadly What do you most need this morning? I imagine that a few of us would be saying a good night's sleep or a few days off or a vacation to a tropical island, those sort of things. Jesus thinks that what we most need is the gospel. Let me show you how this works. Come down with me to the second part of verse 23 in in John uh, chapter 17. Let me read it to you. It says this then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I think this is what we most need, according to Jesus. An understanding, a deep-seated grasp that God the Father sent Jesus into the world because he loves us. He was sent into the world jesus was sent he wasn't just born into the world did you notice that he was sent and he was sent with a purpose being sent implies that he existed before this task now years ago i worked in a glass factory i've told some of you this we used to make wine bottles we made two million of them a day and so the glass factory that i worked in was enormous it was one of the biggest factories that this company owned And occasionally, experts from this company, or they were actually called specialists, were sent to other factories in the world that were struggling. They were normally sent to go and fix a problem that was happening in that factory. They went and they did their thing, fixed the problem, and then they came back to Adelaide. In a similar way here, Jesus wants the world to know that he was sent by the Father into the world in a way to fix it. Now, he didn't do that by repairing a glass machine. He did that by creating a people who were unified around him as the chief cornerstone. He did that by dying for us in our place. He did that by making a way for us to be part of God's family. And can you see here, Jesus prays that the world would know that he was sent by God the Father. Now, Jesus doesn't just pray that we would know that the father has sent jesus into the world he also prays that we would see and understand and know that the father loves us even as he loves his son now I want to pause for a moment just to make sure that you see the significance of what's going on here because this is really amazing stuff that we're reading here jesus prayer is that we would know that we are loved by god the father even as he is, or put another way, I think, as much as he is. That's the message of the gospel, isn't it? That Jesus was sent, and in sending, we would see that God loved us. Let me ask you this morning, how much do you think you deserve to be loved by God? Now, you answer that question, why we depend on, on lots of things... But if we're honest with ourselves, if we have a real look at the state of our hearts, most of us simply don't shape up. Maybe you've been feeling good about yourself this morning. Maybe you had a a good cup of coffee this morning and so you might think you deserve to be loved a little bit. But conversely, you may be feeling a bit down this morning and you may feel a long way from deserving the love of Jesus. Or the love of God the Father. Jesus' prayer is that we would know that we are loved by the Father even as He is. How can that be? How can it be that the Father would love us even as He would love Jesus? Well, I want you to see this morning that at least part of the answer to that question is that we've been incorporated into Jesus. That we're, in a way, clothed with him that we walk not just with him but in him that through our our baptism we share in his death and resurrection one of my favorite verses in the bible that helps describe the christian life in this way and and helps us to understand how this works is is colossians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 i think it might be on the screen but if it's not let me read it to you here this is what it says so then just as you receive christ jesus as lord continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul says, live your lives in him. Or more literally here, walk in him. Walk in Jesus. How do we, how do we walk in Jesus? Well, I want to illustrate it this way to you, right? I've got for you here my pair of gumboots you see that right i put them down there i want you to imagine for a moment that these are not my gumboots but these are jesus's gumboots right i don't know if he wore them or not thongs probably gumboots maybe not but i want to suggest to you that walking in jesus is a bit like stepping inside of these gumboots i'm not going to do it now because my socks probably don't match but here you go My feet are now inside the gumboots, imagine that. And I'm walking in Jesus. And if you've got gumboots on, don't you, you can kind of walk through the mud because gumboots are designed to protect your feet from mud and muck and so on around us. So too when we pull on the Jesus gumboots. In a way, we're protected and shielded from the muck of the world around us, even the muck of our own sinfulness. And by wearing his gumboots, it's a bit like we become like him. And clothed then with his boots, clothed in other ways with him. God the Father sees not our sinfulness, but he sees the Son. And so he loves us as if we were the Son. See, here in John 17, Jesus prays that we would know that we are loved even as God loves the son do you know that this morning i suspect that this is a hard thing for us to really take on board a hard thing for us to really grasp because we're so used to everything in our world being merit-based we don't deserve it but god loves us even as he loves his son because we're incorporated into him, because we wear his boots. If you really knew this, if this really took hold deep down in your heart, if you really knew that you were loved even as God loves his son, wouldn't that change lots of things? Wouldn't that change your self-esteem? Your self-worth? Wouldn't it affect your sense of identity? here jesus is praying for what we most need a reminder of the gospel a reminder that we are loved even as he is i want you to notice also in this prayer the concern that jesus has for the world his prayer, I think, is for those who believe in him. I think that's who he's praying for. His prayer is for us, for our unity, for our understanding of, of who we are as those who are loved by God the Father. But part of that, it seems, is that the world would come to recognize Jesus for who he is. We might call this a kind of missional part of the prayer or an evangelistic part of the prayer. It's a prayer that's concerned with those who don't yet know Jesus, who don't yet know the message of the gospel and i'm kind of reminded here in the language of the world by another part of john's gospel that i'm sure many of you know john 3:16 where it says this for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life can you con- can you see here the concern that jesus and the father have for 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 the world And then back in chapter 17, I want you to notice that concern, carrying through Jesus' prayer. Over the last five weeks or so, we've spent time looking at a number of different prayers in the Bible. We've looked at a a prayer of confession. We've looked at a prayer of praise. We've looked at a prayer that helps us to see that it's okay to come to God and ask Him for the things we need to bring our anxieties before God here in part i want you to see a prayer from jesus for those who don't yet know him i wonder this morning who who you might bring before god that they might come to know the gospel to know that jesus was sent and that jesus is the solution to the problems of the world and we've been meeting here as a church for a little over six years six years ago Mike invited us as a church to use something that we called 316441 cards. Bit of a mouthful, right? The ushers are going to come around and pass out some of these 316441 cards for you right now. Um, you want like to grab and hold on to one of these. They're called 316441 cards. Some of you might remember this. They're called that because the idea behind these cards is that we would use them to help us pray John 3 1, 6, john 3 16 for four people for one year okay 3 i 4, 4, i'd love you to have a go at doing this right now i'm going to give you a moment or two in the the quietness of your seats to think about four names that you can write on this card four names of people who you would love to come to know the gospel would come to know that jesus was sent into the world And that the Father loves us even as he loves his son. Now there's some guidelines here. You might like to pray for one person who's in your family, one friend member, someone who you don't yet know, who you'd like to get to know, those sort of things. But really the point behind these cards is to give you an opportunity to think about four people, four names who you might like to be praying for. And as those cards come around there's some pens somewhere around the place you might like to scribble down four names a little bit later on lou's going to lead us in a time of prayer and we're going to have a, a moment in which you can pray for some of those names on your cards can i suggest if you can't think of four people at the moment that's absolutely okay but you may want to go home and think through who can i be praying for that they would come to know who jesus is that he was sent into the world Have a go at writing some names on that card. Okay, so we've seen so far this morning in this prayer, Jesus' desire for unity around the message that the apostles passed on. We've seen him, We've seen His desire for us as His followers to know that the Father loves us even as He loves the Son. And we've also seen, in a way, Jesus' desire for the world to know who He is. In verses 24 and 25, I want to suggest to you that Jesus is kind of praying that we would have spiritual eyes. Have a look at verses 24 with me. It says this, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. So again, Jesus is praying for us, praying that we would see his glory, praying that we would have eyes able to see these things now of course ultimately we will see these things when we are with jesus in other words either when he's returned or we've died then we'll see him in all his glory passages like 1 john chapter 3 verse 2 make this clear this is what john says a little later on in the bible he says dear friends now we are children of god and what we will be has not yet been made known But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Ultimately, when we see Jesus this way, with full clarity, that happens in the future. But I want to suggest that we can see at least partly Jesus' glory now. All through this series, and all through this year, and I hope for the rest of this year, we're going to keep coming back to our theme verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Do you remember that verse? I've been reading it out to you lots of times this year. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I hope what we can glean here from John 17 is that the unseen is still very real. Because today... The reality is is that Jesus has been raised from the dead. He has ascended into heaven. Right now, he is at the Father's right hand. Glorious. That's where he is right now. We just don't have eyes to see it yet. And yet, through Jesus, in a way, he gives us eyes that are able to see the unseen things. Surely that's the whole point of verse 25, isn't it? See, without Jesus, we don't have eyes to see God the Father either. But Jesus sees God the Father, and Jesus is able to make God the Father known. In other words, Jesus gives us eyes to see the unseen things. He gives us the means to see or to know the Father. And with those eyes, we're able to see the love the Father has for the Son. And not only that, we'll be able to see the love the Father has for us. I reckon when we see things with those sort of eyes, I think that'll lead to us being changed as people, won't it? As Jesus becomes part of us, part of our lives, as we're clothed in him, as we wear his boots, we'll be different people. And this is what Jesus prays for us. He prays for our unity around the message that the apostles passed on. He prays that we would know the gospel, that he was sent into the world. He prays that we would know that the Father loves us as he loves his Son. And he prays that we would have eyes to see his glory. Then we'd have eyes to see and know the Father. And in seeing, we'd become more like the Son. I hope you see this is an amazing prayer that we have from the lips of Jesus. I'm going to pray for us now and ask us to come back up the front. Father God, we thank you for this prayer that helps us to see how Jesus prayed for us. We thank you that John recorded it. How wonderful to know that our Saviour Jesus prayed for us today. We ask that uh, this prayer would come to fruition, that we would see you for who you are that we would know you. We ask that you would help us to know deep down in our being, in our hearts, that you love us even as you love your son. Amen.